Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the message is simply entitled Soap and Water. Soap and Water. Now, it is a normal uh, chore, if you will, for me to be the person to purchase the groceries that our household needs. That has been one of the things that I do regularly for at least the last 15 years or so. I think it started uh, maybe more like 16 years when when Sophie was born, and it started as a a tradition, uh, just a little time in the week for me to get to spend time with with whatever child was not a baby. And so at that point in time, it was me and Kezia, and uh, she was in, in the front of that buggy, and we would go through the grocery store and buy the things that our household needs. Now, now this may seem noble to some, but really it's very, it's very much utility. Jennifer makes the list, I just pick it up, okay? Now, I could tell you exactly what things cost. If Price is Right was back on, I would win that show no problem anytime. I could tell you and get it you know, real close, okay? I could even probably do the tax in my head and have a good indicator. I can look at a list and, and, and get it real close, like within a digit, and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's going to be, you know, it'll be about $582. That is a normal weekly bill. Okay, so, so this is a normal thing for our family. And usually on the list that is given, there is, you know, food. That's the, the primary thing, staple items that our family needs just to simply survive. We do a lot of noodles. We do a lot of rice, okay? There's a lot of staple items. And then there's a section on the list that is dedicated to, to like, cosmetics, like the things that, that don't have to do with consumption, but they just have to do with looking pretty. And what I'm noticing as our family matures, as we're, we're about to have our fourth teenager, is that there is a complexity to those items. Like, like, it would not be the same if it was just me. Have you ever heard of three-in-one? Man's best friend? It's like soap, shampoo, conditioner, lotion. It's just, it's, it's just all of it. You're good. You got one bottle. You're good to go. And uh, I've noticed that as our family matures, that there are you know, specifics. There are complexities to it. Oh, no, this is a facial cleanser for the mornings. This is a facial post-cleanser for the mornings, and then this is an evening, nighttime cleanse for the face. This is specific to hands, this for hair, this, it's unbelievable. The three-in-one is pretty simple. Well, well, the reason I bring this up today, well, we'll tie it in in a moment, but the, the Bible actually refers to itself in so many different ways. And one of the ways that the Bible is described is that it cleanses us that it actually cleanses our life. Look at what it says in the book of Ephesians chapter five. In Ephesians chapter five, in verse 26, speaking of Christ and his church, it says this. Uh, It's using a metaphor of husbands and wives and how they compare to Christ and his church. It says in verse 25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy by washing with the water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus has given us his word 
so that we might be clean, that we might live pure, that we might live a life unblemished, that we might live a life unwrinkled. I was traveling recently and I, I, I brought clothes that would be fitting for the task. The only problem is that they would need to be ironed. I got no problem ironing. Every hotel ever has an iron, but most of the irons just don't work. They got one there. It just doesn't work. And this was one of those days. I pulled out the iron, gave it, you know, it's, it's going, it's nice and hot. And then I, I hit the little thing for the steam to come out and just like a gallon of water poured out on, all over my shirt, just a blotching water all over. I'm like, well, that didn't help at all. But the word of God is intended to help purify our life, to help cleanse our life, to bring a, a radiance to our life. As we study God's word, one of the benefits is that God is purifying us. And, and not only is he doing this, but he's also sustaining us. And you know, the, the, the leading science would say that no matter you know, how old you are or what phase of life, you probably ought to drink about eight cups of water a day. Now, I don't know how you do with that. I'm not sure how, how consistent you find yourself doing that, but eight cups of water a day is kind of a good measuring stick for those who desire to have internal health to their life. It's a, a two liters of water a day. Now, some people, they, they push the limit. They go, I'm going for a gallon, and they've got one of those big old jugs that says, 9 a.m., you got this. 11 a.m., you should be about here. 1 a.m., you are behind. You better start drinking. And you see them, they're carrying around that bottle of water all day long. Some go, oh, yeah, I get plenty of water through the form of coffee. You know, I get at least eight cups a day. And it's not quite doing the same thing. But, but we're, we're, we're supposed to use about two liters or consume about two liters of water a day. But a recent study in North America showed that the average person uses 335 liters of water per day. We consume about two, but we use about 335. The, the, the next or the largest portion being to clean ourselves, to bathe, to clean the house that we live in, to clean the surfaces that, that we touch, to, to prepare meals, to clean up after the meals, we use about 335 liters of water every single day. I had a friend once, he was a, a pastor, and he said, I look at scripture in both of those ways. I need to drink a little bit of it every day or I'm gonna die. I need to actually ingest a little bit of, of the scripture every day or I get dehydrated. I start finding that there are things that, that I'm just not functioning as well and as healthy as I would like to. But then I also read a whole bunch of scripture every day because I want my life to be clean. He goes, I, I read scripture for quality and I also read scripture for quantity. Today I want to talk a little bit about that dynamic in our life, allowing God's word to wash our minds, allowing God's word to purify our minds. I don't know if uh, this, this number is like readily on your, the tip of your, your brain, but in the course of a given week, every single one of us has 168 hours. That is the time we are allotted in a week. It's exactly that much, not a second more, not a second less. And, and sometimes we look at people like, man, how do they get it all done? Well, well, they didn't get it done by having an eighth day in the week. 
They got it done by the way they prioritize certain parts of their life. And sometimes we look at our life in a season and we go, I just feel so busy. And then we start to do the math and we're like, something's just not adding up. I feel busy. I, I worked 40 hours this week and, and I only had like these two other commitments that brings me up to like 48. Where did the other 120 go? Anybody ever feel that way? You're like, where is my time evaporating to? But, but I ask myself the question, of that 168 hours, what portion of that am I giving to, to even thoughts about God? What portion of that am I giving to, to even like conversation about the things of God? And, and this is not a condemnation on you, certainly. It's a little bit of a correction to myself at times where I look and I go, oh, that might be why my life isn't going the way I want it to go, because I can't remember. I'm not sure, like, like the, the portion wouldn't, wouldn't add up in that 168-hour week. And so as we did last week, I want to give like a little thought on how we could study Scripture well this week. Because my goal as a pastor of this church is that we would be self-feeders. That we'd be really good at feeding and nourishing ourselves. Not so that we don't need one another, but so that we are not living desperate, starving lives. You ever spend some time around a teenage boy? Oh my goodness, they will eat anything because they need it. Like, I'm going to die. Have you ever been around a, like a person who is parched in a sun-scorched land? Oh my goodness, they'll just drink any. I remember being once so thirsty. I'm like, I just need anything. Oh yeah, a big old Slurpee. That's going to do the trick. It didn't do the trick. It helped for just a moment, but it didn't do that. And some of us were so desperate for, for nourishment. We're so desperate for sustenance that we'll just get it anywhere we can get it. So desperate for joy that we'll replace it with entertainment. We're so desperate for peace that we'll replace it just with, with finding something that helps us just turn it off. Just turn it off. We're so desperate for, for the fruit of the Spirit in our life that we're willing to, to be satisfied with cheap counterfeits. Today, I want to help us to, to study Scripture in a different way. If you were here last week, we talked uh, a little bit about a, a simple method of studying Scripture, asking ourselves the question, so what? The context question. Because what this means to the persons who first hear it speaks into what it should mean in my life. And then asking ourselves the question, what? Like, what is the Bible actually saying? Not just what I hope it says, not just what I want it to say, but what is it actually saying? And then the now what question. If all that's true, then now what? Now what? This week we're going to look at a little bit of a, a different method. And I thought, in keeping with, with this thought that we consume a little bit of water, but we use a whole lot of water, that instead of challenging us to something small, this week I want to challenge us to quantity. Okay? Quantitative challenge. We could look at the simplest, easiest portion of Scripture, but instead we're going to look at the largest chapter of Scripture in the Bible. You might not know what it is, but it's Psalms 119. If you were to read Psalm 119, which is 176 verses long, you would find on average it takes about 15 minutes to read. Psalm 119 is a long poem, and uh, it is a poem split into 22 different sections, each section indicated by one letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first section, as you look, it says Aleph, then the next one says Bey, then the next one says Gimel, then the next one says Dalit. I'm only saying that to just impress you that I know some of the Hebrew alphabet. You don't need to know it. But it's written out that way in 22 different sections, each section with eight verses. Each of these eight verses is actually pointing us to the, the magnificence of the Word of God. 
It's a scripture about scripture. In fact, in the 176 verses, scripture, truth, God's word, is mentioned at least 171 different times. It's like, I'm going to drill this point down until you get it, until you understand. And it, it, to me, it speaks, uh, you know, similar like if we were to say from A to Z or from A to Z, that like from beginning to end, from first to last, the scripture is always going to be impactful in our, impactful in our life from Aleph to Tav, from A to Z. All the way through, the word of God is going to be impactful to our life. This specific uh, piece of scripture is quite interesting. You know, there is a uh, Puritan commentator, I'm going to find his name right here. Give me one moment, I wrote it down because this I thought was so interesting and compelling. His name was Thomas Manton and he wrote on this passage of scripture a three volume uh, work that spanned 1,677 pages just about this passage of scripture. More than a full chapter per verse. He's just like, he dug in, he got into it, he's like, this is blowing my mind and everyone needs to read about it. And so he wrote this. Martin Luther said of this specific psalm that he prized it so highly that he would not take the whole world in exchange for just one leaf of it or one portion of it. Many different significant players throughout history have actually committed this passage of scripture to memory. I don't know about you, when I started memorizing scripture, I went for Jesus wept. I'm like, I got one, Jesus wept. It's the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. But there are people who memorize this whole passage. One prominent person being William Wilberforce, who led a movement to abolish slavery throughout the British Empire. He had this uh, passage of scripture committed to memory. Matthew Henry, who wrote a commentator, uh, commentary of the whole Bible, when he was young, his father uh, challenged him and his siblings to take one verse from this passage every single day and just meditate on it. Think about it. It's 176 days long. That means that they got through it about twice a year. Twice a year, they would ponder through this, and it's maybe no surprise that he ended up being so in love with Scripture. But the most interesting story, I thought, about this passage of Scripture that I found was a, a bishop in Edinburgh by the name of George Wishart. George Wishart uh, was put in a place where he was about to be martyred for his faith. He was in a position where he was going to be executed, and uh, upon the scaffold which he would be executed, he was granted this one uh, right that was given to those who were about to be martyred, that they could have one portion of Scripture read to them. Well, knowing his Bible well, he said, I'm going with Psalm 119. He got, at least I'm going to get 15 minutes out of it. You don't want to go with Psalm 117, then you're real done real quick. Like, you might as well just pull the blade out and just go for it. It's only a couple of verses long. Psalm 119, while it was being read, it was two-thirds of the way read when a pardon that had been written on his behalf arrived and was delivered, and it saved his life. Isn't that cool? Like knowing God's word might just save your life one way or another. This passage of scripture, it speaks about the word of God, his words, and it uses eight different terms to define and to describe God's word. One of those terms, very simply, is his law. 25 times in this 176 verses, it speaks of the law of the Lord, which means to teach or to instruct. The purpose of God's word 
is, is not just trivial. It's not just interesting facts in case they ever come up in conversation. It's actually to teach and to instruct. It was a word used by parents to their children. I want to teach you and instruct you how to do life well. God's word is our teacher. God's word is our instructor. He is teaching us how to live. The, the second term was simply the word. Ready for it? Word. The Hebrew word dabar. And, and this means the things that God has spoken. Like his quotes. The things he says, you're like, I need to remember that. His law is instructing us. The things he says that we're like, oh, that, that was good. How exactly did God say that? His word is good. It's memorable. Third, there's this word used, his judgments. His judgments, meaning that the word of God regulates and determines and orders and discerns our life. That as we, we study the word of God, we find ourselves in certain circumstances and situations going, oh, I thought that was good. But now that I know, I just can't unknow. I didn't recognize that this thing I was doing is actually destructive. Do you know the Bible says there's a way that feels right to humanity, but it leads to death? The Bible also says that our heart is a reckless evil that is leading us astray. And the word of God helps bring judgment and soundness to our life. It also is, the, there's a word used called testimony. A testimony. This is the things related to those who witness what the Lord is doing. That when we see the evidence of what God is doing, when we begin to speak about it, we are speaking the word about the Lord. So it's his law, the things that he has spoken to instruct us. It's his, his words, his spoken word. It's his testimony, the things that we've heard God say, his discernments, his judgments. Another word is his commandments. This word emphasizes the authority that God has. His command, not the suggestions of God, the commandments of God. For, for too many of us, I, I think sometimes we look at Scripture, we're like, mm, that makes an interesting kind of spice, interesting topping, but I don't like that flavor. This is not an interesting spice to be added to our life. It's not a, you know, mix some, some ingredients up, just see what we come up with. This is the commands of the Lord. They're not the suggestions of God. They're the commands of the Lord that are linked to the promises of God. The next word is his statutes. The statutes of God are things that have been engraved like in stone, meaning they're lasting. God just wasn't throwing ideas off the top of his head and going, you know what, I thought about that, it didn't come out right. He, these are statutes to be engraved. They are enduring. The word of God will last forever. The, the, another word is the precepts of God. The word precept, it's, a, it's like uh, an officer who's under authority. Like you got a governor, I don't know how the ranking system would work. I don't even know the ranking system in our own military. I don't know what's the difference between a lieutenant and a colonel and where, the, where they fall, but there is a hierarchy to it. God is the authority and his word represents his authority. The other day I was talking to, to my three-year-old son who wasn't loving obeying his eight-year-old brother. He just wasn't loving that his brother was in charge in this situation. And I had to get down on his level and say, you need to know that I put your brother in charge. So when you disobey your brother, you're disobeying me. And he goes, I won't disobey my brother. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to him. Understanding that authority runs down. In the same manner, God who is in authority has sent his precepts, his words. When we obey his words, we're obeying God. 
When we step out from under the, the covering of his word, we're stepping out from under the cover of God's authority and care and, and lordship of our life. It's his precepts. Look at this. The, the last word used is just simply the word word. It, it's similar to dabar, that Hebrew word that I, I told you. But it also just denotes anything that God has spoken, anything that he has commanded, anything that he has promised. You study Psalm 119 and you just see it over and over and over. The precepts, the statutes, the laws, the judgments, the words. It's the, the word of God is exalted. I'm not going to preach a 171-point sermon, although it might be fun to try. But instead, let me just give you a few of the highlights, okay? A few of the verses that, that for me, have really enduring impact. Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and it's a light for my path. I love the thought that God's word is illuminating our next step and giving us vision for our future. It's not one or the other, it's both and. He's illuminating our next step, he's a light to our feet, and he's also a light to our path. I remember when I I was first learning to drive, the, the tendency can be to just look at the very front of the car that you're driving and react to things in the moment that they're coming. Same is true when you learn to ride a bike or, or, or you know, snowboard, ride on a scooter, whatever it is, we have the tendency just to look right in front of us. And we're constantly overreacting to things because we don't have perspective for the future. Well, the word of God is giving us a surety in our next step, but it's also helping us not to overreact to things. Anyone in the room an overreactor? Come on, anyone in the room, you're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you're overreacting. Anyone an overreactor, you look at your life, you're like, how is it that I... I, I almost went into this ditch and then I overreacted and went to that ditch. How is it that I, I became like super passionate about this thing only to hate that thing and then to kind of like it again and we swing? Well, it's probably because we lack some long-term vision. The word of God gives us a surety in the next step and a long-term vision for our future. Look what it says in Psalm 119 and uh, in verse 9. Psalm 119 verse 9, it says, uh, it says this, how can a young person keep their way pure? By keeping them according to your word. We looked at that verse last week. What about Psalm 119.11? It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wow, I've hidden God's word in my heart, and it's actually causing me to live a, a holy life. I love this thought because it's not just the word of God externally working its way to us. It's God's word internally working its way through us. Come on, think about that for a minute. It's not just God shouting his words at us. It's us internalizing, understanding the word of God and being able to speak it to our situation. Being able to look and discern and go, oh, there's a verse for that. There's a verse for that. There's a statement for that. When Jesus came under temptation, do you know what he did? He just spoke the word of God. He He didn't get mad at the devil the devil's there. He's like, hey, I just want to entice you. How about, how about I give you a kingdom you just never have to suffer for? No cross needed. You can just have it right now. And instead of saying, get away from me, you stinker, he's like, it has been written. He spoke the word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. He's like, I'm just going to hide myself in God's word. It's going to cause me to live With purity, look what it says, Psalm 119, verse 89. It says this, your word, Lord, is eternal. 
It stands firm in the heavens. When I was young, we had, uh, we had an encyclopedia set in our house. I think my parents probably spent a lot of money on it. And uh, it was probably purchased from someone who came door to door. You might not know this, that used to be a job, a door to door encyclopedia salesperson. <laughs> now think about how times have changed. I remember looking through those encyclopedias, there was a couple really interesting ones uh, because they had colored pictures, only a couple. This specific uh, edition of the encyclopedia was a 1967 edition. And in this specific edition, you know, a few were, were colored. There, were, there was a, a, a picture of a frog and it had little overlaid pieces that you'd look at the anatomy of a frog and then you'd overlay a foil and see, you know, a circulatory system and then overlay it again and see a skeletal system. And I, I don't know what I was going to do with that information. We're like, wow, that's cool. It's a colored picture in a book. And then, then there, was, there was one, like a whole section on dinosaurs. Oh my goodness, it was interesting. There was a section on planets. Interesting. The, the thing about it was that by the time it, it was my time to be in school where I would look at those encyclopedias, a lot of what had been written as fact had been proven to be untrue. So I would sometimes cite a source that then I would, I would bring into school and they'd be like, oh, well, you know, the most recent science actually shows that that's not, that's not the case anymore. How many times has Pluto become a planet? It's in and out of the planetary you know, hierarchy over and over again, and, and it's, it's just whatever. How about Wikipedia? You look at Wikipedia, and, and it's like anybody can just write stuff about Wikipedia. But the Word of God is eternal. It's lasting through the seasons of time. In fact, the more we learn scientifically, the more God's Word just keeps on blowing people's minds. Like archaeological digs that people say, well, that could never be true, and then they find, oh, found it. The word of God is lasting. The word of God is eternal. Look what it says in Psalm 119 and verse 97. It says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I meditate on the word of God all day long. I told you last week to meditate on the word of God is not to empty yourself. It's not to be at a place where just nothing can stick to me. I just let thoughts roll over me. To meditate on the word of God is to fill yourself. It's actually to be filled to the overflow so you're completely satisfied that you're not finding yourself desperate for new information because you've got this stability to your life. Oh, how I love your word. I meditate it on it day and night. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. There is a blamelessness to your walk. Look at this one. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Come on, think about that picture for a second. The unfolding of your word brings light. The first time you you begin to see it, you're like, whoa. And then the more you you look at the word of God, the more it unfolds. I love the the progressive nature of God's revelation. That that what used to be simple, or seemed too complex, I should say, has become simple. And you continue to unfold, and as you unfold God's word, it continues to illuminate and bring light to your life. Look what it says in Psalm 119, verse 18. 
Psalm 119, verse 18. If you were to highlight just one in your Bible, I think it should be this one. I think this is a great prayer to pray before you study any portion of Scripture. Look at Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's a great, that's a great prayer to pray. Before you read the Bible, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. So this week I want to give us a little challenge, okay? I want us to look at, at Scripture in a specific way, and as we do, I think it's going to be helpful to our lives. I'm going to ask, and hey, you don't have to do it, but I'm going to ask that every day this week you carve out some time to read Psalm 119 in its entirety. The longest chapter in Scripture, if you do the one-year Bible plan, it carves it up into like three days because it's too much to expect that someone should read four whole pages of this, this book. But carve out some time. Give yourself some time. It might take you about 15 minutes to read. If you're not reading out loud, it's probably more like 10 minutes. But take some time to, to read Psalm 119. And as you do, I'm going to give you four things to look for, okay? Four things to look at and to do. And, and they are marked by the acronym SOAP. It's not, not a unique thought. It's been used and circulated all over the place. A lot of people study the Scripture this way. SOAP, S stands for Scripture. S stands for Scripture. As you read Psalm 119... I want you to pray that prayer. God, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law, and then just begin to read, and there's going to be a verse or a section of verses that are like, ooh, that's interesting. And you're going to identify, oh, this is the scripture that I want to think about today. This is the portion of that scripture. So, so a great habit of studying scripture would be simply to study scripture. Like sometimes you're like, yeah, I want to give God some of my time. So what I'm going to do is listen to a podcast, think about some things. And, you know, then I'm going to do some art because I love doing art. And then I'm going to be in nature because I love nature. Great. Do all those things. But you actually should study scripture. It's his word, not just experiences with God that brings impact to our lives. We're pretty experiential people. We're like, I like things that I like. We'll, we'll fall in love with the word of God. It's going to bring change to your life. So study scripture. S stands for scripture. When you study scripture, I want to challenge you one just little nudge further to study scripture systematically. Have a system to it. Don't do like Bible Russian roulette. Here we go. I'm going to read the Bible today. Okay, here we are. Ezekiel chapter 7. I wonder what that has to say to me. It's a pretty hard way to know that you're getting something out of scripture. It would be equivalent to me showing up at the grocery store and just saying, yeah, this and, and this and without any sort of system. I'm grateful for a list knowing what is needed. So, so this week I've given you a system. You don't have to follow it, but I want to challenge you. Psalm 119 every day is going to help carve out a habit in your life of just a little bit of time where God gets the focus. But after this week, man, man, decide, okay, I'm going to read the book of John. I'm going to read the, the, the letters that Paul wrote to churches. I'm going to take some time to read the Psalms. I'm going to take some time to read the Proverbs. I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm going to start here and go there. Have a system in play. So you're not just jumping to the things that you've already thought about and that you already know you prefer. I was visiting someone recently in their city. I said, where should we go eat? He goes, I don't know. So what do you mean? This is your city. He goes, yeah, I just, I just go to this one restaurant. I'm like the one restaurant? Are you for real? Like, I've heard some good things about that. He's like, I have too. Well, should we go? He's like, oh, I've never been there. 
Like, what? My kids, there's someone, can we just grab a sandwich real quick? We walked into this place. I'm like, wow, this place looks cool. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what's good here? He goes, I don't know. I've never been here. Like, he literally goes to one restaurant, and he's lived in the city for years. I'm I'm like, I took him to more new places in his city in one day than he had visited in nine years. But we do the same in Scripture. We're like, oh, I know, I know what I like. I'm going to go to what I like. I'll just read the things. I like. Be systematic when you study Scripture. So the system for this week, Psalm 119. And as something, a verse or a section of verses come, comes out, maybe one of those sections, you'll notice they're split into 22. So you go, this is the one I'm going to think about today. Now, if you say, honestly, focus, time, I find it really hard. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to fit that in. Then you come up with a system that's going to at least get you through this in the week, okay? Your system. Oh, stands for observation. Make an observation. Make an observation about scripture. I want to encourage you, you got to do this with a notebook or with a note app. That as you're reading, you don't just go, well, that's interesting. Did it. But you actually write out the scripture that you're, you're thinking about and make an observation. Make an observation about the scripture. And the observation is not just, why. Well, I picked it because it's nice. I picked it because I liked it. Why? Why are you observing this, this portion or this piece of scripture? And if I could, I want to encourage you, make observations that are on point. Like observations that are just simply our observations might not be the right observations. So it could be that you need to do a little study. It could be that you need to pull out a concordance and go, I don't know what this word means. I feel like I'm missing something. Do a little digging. It could be that you could look at someone like Matthew Henry, who I told you has read a comment, uh, written a commentary of the whole Bible and go, what are other people saying about this? I think observation is best when it starts with you and then grows its way out to the thoughts of others. Instead of going, well, I, I heard a sermon on it, so I know what it means. I'll just think the thoughts that someone else spoke. Start with your observations, but don't end there. You want to make sure you make an on-point observation that as you look out, you're like, oh, it still is continuing to make more clear sense. Remember, the unfolding of God's world continues to bring light. So so study scripture systematically. Make observations that are on point. This will take a little bit of time. If you are shoehorning your, your study of scripture into an insufficient amount of time, you might be getting an insufficient amount of of reward out of, out of it. You might be seeing an insufficient amount of results from it. Like a person who's like, I'm going to become a runner. I'm going to dedicate, you know, four to six minutes when I have time. And I just don't know why I'm not getting any closer to a marathon. Well, you might not actually be, be giving yourself enough time to do so. Okay. A, A stands for application. Application is where the power comes. The Bible says it's possible to read the word of God and then just be completely deceived if you don't do what it says. Application is what am I going to do with this thing? So so you're going to look at Psalm 119. You pray to prayer. God, help me to see beautiful things in your word. As you're you're reading, it takes you about 10, maybe 15 minutes. You get to a section and I go, that's interesting. I want to make some observations on that. So you jot them down, one verse, one section. You begin to make some observations, your own and then others. And then you say, what am I going to do with this? How does this change anything? This is not just trivial pursuit. So how do I I do this? What will this change in my life? And when you make an application in your life, I want to encourage you, be accountable to your application. That starts with writing it down. It starts with saying, so here's what that means for me. At least be accountable to yourself. 
If you live with or interact with or cross paths with someone who's doing this with you, maybe you could invite an even greater layer of accountability by talking it out. If you and your spouse are both reading the scripture, maybe you could talk it out and say, well, this is what was interesting. Here's what I think I'm gonna do about it. That's a great way to make sure you actually do it if you share it with someone. But be accountable with your application. Let's not be those people who intend for, for months and years and decades to be something that we're not and we never actually put it into practice. And then lastly, P stands for prayer. I think the greatest way to study scripture is to begin and end with prayer. The author of scripture is in the room. The Holy Spirit sits with us as we open his word. And the Bible says that the spirit of God's purpose is to illuminate truth to us. Like an advocate who walks beside us pointing out what we need to know and, and, and making big of Jesus and his grace in our lives. So pray. And when you pray, pray with some patience. When you pray, pray with some patience. Don't say, okay, awesome, God, that was great. Uh, God's neat, let's eat, amen. I knew someone, that was his classic prayer. Like, Steve, would you pray for the meal today? Oh, I'd love to. God's neat, let's eat. That was his prayer. In, instead of just a rote, predetermined prayer, pray with some patience. God, I made this observation. It's kind of you know, messing me up. If I'm gonna apply it, it's gonna be hard. Don't know if I can do it. But I could sure use your help in this. Pray with some patience. I've given you a big task. It might take 20 minutes, maybe even 30. And if you did this each day of the week, that's three and a half hours of your 168. I'm, I, I'm, I'm saying it a little bit tongue in cheek, but also fully understanding time's very valuable. It's super precious. It's precious, but it slips through our fingers without us even knowing sometimes, doesn't it? It's the greatest commodity we have, but we don't know where we put it all. Carve out some time to meet with Jesus. He's gonna to speak to you according to his word. When you do this, you might find on day four or five, you're observing things that you didn't notice on day one or two. It's crazy as you study the word of God and allow him to change your perspective, what would happen in your lives. I'd love to pray for you. The greatest application of preaching is not that you say amen. It's not that you go, that was good. It's that you actually put it into practice. So I'm gonna pray that we'd have the courage to put it into practice, to study God's word and allow him to change us. As your study guide today, talking soap and water, we're gonna, with some quantity and some soap, with the washing of God's word and a little bit of soap, we're gonna see a cleansing work happen in our lives. Jesus, I thank you for my friends here today. I pray that you would help us to live our lives according to your word. How does a young person keep their way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How do we walk in a way that's blameless? By walking according to your word, which lights up our feet and illuminates our path. Give us confidence for our next step and vision for our future, both and. And Jesus, for those in the room who have already predetermined I'm not good at studying scripture, for those as I talk about it who go, oh man, it's just a long litany of failures have tried and failed. I wanted to and I just keep on getting distracted. Pray that we'd have a, a newfound confidence to actually do this. Thank you that you don't hold past attempts against us. And I pray for a freshness in doing this thing that we're committing to, a freshness to actually find from your word what you're speaking to us. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.